Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome. I've got some scripture here this morning. Who loves the Bible? It is the living Word of God, and we're going to dive into the Old Testament from 1 Kings chapter 18. This is an exciting story. It's a battle that takes place uh, in the, in the uh, heavenly realm that is outworked on the earth. And so uh, here we go. In um, verse 17, it says, When Ahab, everyone say Ahab, saw Elijah. Everyone say Elijah. Elijah was the prophet, Ahab was a king that was not doing the right thing. And so Ahab said to him, Is it you, uh, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. They were idols and false gods. Um, Gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Astra who eat at Jezebel's table. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the God is God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I'm the only prophet of the Lord left, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Get or let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of, of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Come on. And the prophets of Baal, they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah, the mocker, the prophet mocker, mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or perhaps he is relieving himself. This is in the Bible, people. Uh, This is not the message translation. Uh, Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. It's carnage, man. It's crazy. Then Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, and he made a trench around the altar, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Then Elisha the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Answer me, Lord, that this people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. and licked up the water that was in the trench. It was gone. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, 
seized the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape, and they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of uh, Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. And they all lived happily ever after, except for the prophets of Baal. And they were in, yeah, <laughs> they were in deep yogurt. Man, I love this story. Um, I love this story for many reasons, but it just shows us this window into the spiritual battle that actually rages around us still today. Like there is a battle between right and wrong, good and evil, and the, the, this nation, Israel, these were the, the, the people that were deceived. They didn't know, like they were like, well, I don't know if I'm going to serve Baal or I don't know if I'm going to serve God. And so Elijah was like, well, let me show you who is boss. And so one man went with hope to see God do something great and mighty in his circumstances. And today I'm believing that God wants to release hope into your life, that he wants to bring hope and a greater sense of vision. No matter what the odds are stacked against you, your God is the God of your breakthrough. He so is. In the New Zealand Herald last week, the South African coach, Rassi Ramirez. Is there any South Africans in the house? Can you just say his name loud and proper? Rassi Rasmus. Let's just give the South Africans a hand in here because they are amazing. We love South Africans. So Rassi Erasmus, he is commenting on their World Cup campaign. And he, he started by acknowledging that it was their shocking run-up to their loss to the All Blacks that ultimately ignited their, their tournament. They, they were under so much pressure that game before the All Blacks, and they had this, and he said that they had this terrible week in terms of taking the weight of that pressure of the game ahead. And all the All Black supporters, like, we were just happy that they were struggling under the pressure, weren't we, All Black supporters? We were like, we're like, boo, South Africans, sorry. Uh, and, and we were happy they were feeling terrible that week, just about rugby, and, and, and they showed it on the field. But after that loss, they started to talk about what real pressure is, Russi went on to say. He said, you know, in South Africa, real pressure is not having a job or it's when one of your close relatives uh, are murdered. And in South Africa, there's lots of problems, which is lots of pressure. And, and so that they, they spoke about this throughout their campaign. And that conclusion that they came to the week before they played the final with the English was this, that the game of rugby shouldn't be something that it creates pressure, it should be something that creates hope. It, it, it was, the, you know, the, he said that we have a privilege of giving hope. It's not a burden, and the moment you see it that way, it becomes a privilege. And so I love that, that they took this perspective that they have of pressure, and they flipped it on, the, on, the, on its head, and they rallied together, and they bought, built this platform of hope that, that carried them into winning the final. And I love it. It's just so cool. They changed their why they were going on the field. They changed, they we're not going out. We're not going under pressure. We're going out to create hope. They changed their why and they became unstoppable. Today, my message is called Igniting Hope. You know, the, the altar that uh, Elisha rebuilt on Mount Carmel uh, was a catalyst for hope. And, and Mount Carmel literally means garden or fruitful 
place. And at that time, Mount Carmel had actually endured three years of drought. I don't know if you remember that from the scripture that, that I read, but, but Mount Carmel was anything but fruitful, and, and the altar was anything but functioning, and this altar lay in ruins, and, and, but, but Elisha saw that altar, and he thought, this place has a God history. This place where God did something, God wants to do something new and something fresh in today. And so Elisha, one man, he concluded that this current drought status over this whole region would not prevent it from becoming an epic center of what God, of great hope and of deliverance, of what God wanted to do in the next season for this territory. And so I just want to say today, you know, perhaps you are standing in a place that is dry and lacks life. And, you know, we're, we're complex beings. I mean, I tell you, I'm complex. Um, and, and, and that's just one of us out of our out of marriage. And, 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 and uh, I, I, she's not. I'm, I'm the complex one. And, and I, I've got some parts of my life that I'm winning in at most times. You know, there's something I can celebrate. But at other times, we can have dry areas of our life. We can still have those places. We're looking for God to bring breakthrough here today. And if you're here today and maybe you feel like, man, there's no question about it. I'm in a dry place in this season and I actually just need an overall breakthrough. Or if there's this promise, there's this thing in your life that you're leaning to God and He wants you to bring and build an altar of hope in that area today. He wants you to dream again, to believe again, and, and, and because Israel at this time, they had forgotten that God was the God of this fruitful place. They had become spectators of their circumstances. But when Elijah rocked up that day with his, you know, like his back against the wall, there's like 850 prophets of other gods and him, he determined that he would see the God of all hope become ignited in that region again. So no matter what's stacked against you, your God is the God of the breakthrough. Your God is the God of deliverance. And, and I believe as, as a, He just wants you to just be relieved of the pressure of that burden that you've been carrying in your life, and He wants to ignite your hope today. And whether that's in your emotional health, He wants to ignite your hope. You know, like, I believe that Christians are called to be the most optimistic, hope-filled, ridiculously positive group of people on the planet. You know, I believe that it may be there's someone here today and you've had a ministry call spoken over your life years ago and it's just appeared dormant. I want to speak life to that promise and to that call on your life today. You know, when I was preparing this, I just, I had a random thought come to mind and I just wanted to speak it out because God was the God. He wants to bring hope and freedom. And I just felt that there was someone here today on Sunday, they're probably in the first service, let's just be real, uh, who, who was struggling with carrying a critical spirit. You're just like looking at life through the lens of judgment and you don't want to be doing this. You don't want to be having arguments in your head about people, I've done this. You know, you don't, you want to be praying for people in your own head. Like, you know, we're called to love our enemies and you're finding yourself in conflict constantly as you look at people in your life. And as I was worshiping, I just felt like I just wanted to apologize to anyone here on behalf of pastors. 
where you've felt overlooked or neglected or, or that I've said something, whether it was in context or out of context, and you got hurt. And I just felt, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. On behalf of that pastor, if it was me, I'm sorry. I like you. I love you. <laughs> I don't want to put walls in front of you. I, wanna, I, I believe that we are all, you know, called to bring love to one another. But sometimes leaders get it wrong. <laughs> sometimes leaders, you know, just say the wrong thing. And, and so, and I'm sure I've never been the perfect leader and probably will never w- will be. But, I, you know, I just want to, I want to set you free from any judgment that you may have in your heart of unforgiveness, uh, offense, like just like, let's just let that go. You don't have time to carry offense. You don't need that burden of that backpack of rocks on your, you know, your back that's weighing you down. You just get, you're called to look at life with freedom and with hope. And I just want to encourage you with this thought that there are no hopeless situations. There are just hopeless ways of thinking. And I don't want to diminish the, um, the struggles, the real struggles that some, some of you guys are having. But I want to tell you that your God is the God of all hope. He's not discouraged when he looks at your life. He is just thinking, I can't wait for their future. I can't wait for their next breakthrough. I can't wait to partner with this person. And so he is the God of all hope. And we are created to be captivated by radical hope. We really are. And I, I just think when the Christians get this, the world, is, we're just going to become irresistible. We're just going to be irresistible. We're like, I, I want what he's got. That's why Jesus had followers. He wasn't like, please come to church on Sunday. <laughs> fill, a, fill a row. They were like, I want to follow you, Jesus. You've got something I want. And so we're called to, to be people who carry that kind of radical optimism. And the first thing that Elisha does that day when he rocks up to this dry place is that he builds an altar because he understood that the battle for any territory is over the focus of our worship. And if you're looking to change an atmosphere around our lives, we need to build an atmosphere of hope that is established at the altar of praise and worship. That's why the word says that he inhabits the praises of his people because he brings an atmosphere shift through our praise and through our worship. Praise and worship puts us in a posture of saying, God, I will give you something over my circumstances. I will give you my attention. I will give you my praise. I will give you what you deserve deserve despite this barren space that I'm in. And so, man, who or what is worshipped at the altars of a territory will set the atmosphere of that territory. You know, in Old Testament days when the the Israelites were, you know, ready to worship God or, 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 you know, you just about read it about any great man or or woman of God in, in the Old Testament, they were instructed to build an altar. Gideon built an altar. You know, they offered a sacrifice and then God responded. And then the hold of evil was rejected from the territory because worship changes atmospheres. You know, Jesus just didn't die on the cross and and live a radical life here so that we could just have nice religious meetings. So that we could, you know, he it's you know, meetings are great. I'm excited about meetings, but I'm excited about meetings that are full of the fire of God. I'm excited about meetings where God is moving and breathing and our
we're engaged in who He's calling us to be and what we're calling to worship over. I'm excited about, you know, church and meetings when the church lives beyond, you know, its, its box and gets out into the community and, and shares the love of Jesus Christ. We are called to carry an incredible hope to our community. And, and Elisha was like, I need to gather some stones so I can build an altar of worship to God. And he gets these 12 uncut stones. And, and to build altars in the, in the Old Testament, you were only permitted to, to use uncut stones. Unlike the stones where idols were, were worshipped, these, these, you know, they were, they were cut and they were polished and they were made into some kind of image. And, 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 but God's like, no, no, I, I, I need my fire to fall on an altar that is constructed from raw, unmanicured, unedited, pure, natural material. And today I just want to put this out there that you and I are the altars that you and I are the raw material, our bodies, our soul, our spirits, everything that is yielded to Him on the altar. You know, that is the position that we worship from. And the New Testament, it shows us that altars just didn't end uh, with the new covenant. And in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's like it's there. It's in the New Covenant. The Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, the, the altar was a place of sacrifice where an animal's life was given and placed on the altar. But in the New Testament, our bodies are the living sacrifice. There's still a sacrifice there. And Paul got it when he wrote in the, in the New Testament. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. He was a fully surrendered, devoted uh, lover of Christ, a laid down man to the will and the purposes of Christ because he could see that he would live his best life as a surrendered life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, paraphrase, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you. You know, I want to tell you today that the key to the greatest hope that you would ever carry in your life is a fully surrendered living sacrifice that you offer up to Jesus Christ, holy and pleasing before him. And I love the therefore after that. It says, therefore, be transformed with a renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is for your life. There's got to be the sacrifice before there can be the transformation of our minds before we connect into the good, pleasing, and perfect will of Christ. You know, the, the power of God the presence of God is so attracted to our raw, surrendered, <laughs> unpretending, unpretentious, unreligious, unedited, normal. <laughs> Does it look like just any other stone on the riverbed? 
He just loves us as we are. He wants to, His fire to hit us as we are. We don't have to come to God sorted, polished, cut, you know, just look in the business. We don't have to look good. We come to Him as we are. And I was just thinking about the woman with the issue of blood this week. And she, she wasn't even known by her name. She was just known by her issue. And maybe you're like, man, I'm sick of talking about my issue. <laughs> you feel like, I just feel like I'm known for my issue. It's, I'm just, I don't, want, I don't want to complain anymore. I don't want that to be the thing that comes out of my mouth. I want his praises. I want his hope to come out of my mouth. And, and this woman, this woman with the issue of blood, she built an altar of hope from the raw material of her state in a place of humiliation. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She was unclean. She was publicly shamed. And she managed somehow to push through the crowd. And she got close to Jesus. She stretched out her hand. She grabbed his cloak as he passed by. Jesus felt power leave him as, he, as she grabbed a hold of him. And she was healed as the fire of God's healing touched the altar of her sacrifice, of her vulnerability and of her true self, and she stepped out in the crowd in faith. Do you know that Jesus can't heal what we hide from Him? I mean, He knows it's there. Maybe it should be He can't heal what we don't give Him permission to heal where we don't allow him to go. And sometimes we don't know what our issues are. Like, I'm like that. And I'm like, I just know I'm not free. Jesus, how can I surrender more? How can I get on my knees? How can I, how can I get closer to you? Like this woman got so close despite her own, like being ostracized from this community. She was like, I just got to get closer to Jesus. I've just got to get there. And that became her catalyst for her breakthrough. And this living sacrifice that we're called to make to God is it's just a part of this unedited <laughs> version of ourselves. He just wants us as is, where is. And, and it, it, because Jesus, he is the place of exchange. The cross is the place of exchange where we, you know, you know this, where, where we take our despair and he releases joy. Where we, we, we take our addictions and he promises freedom where we you know where we surrender our religion and he releases life where we say Jesus heal me heal my body and he releases healing where perhaps we're apathetic he will release fire passion and purpose in our lives we're called to, to live with passion and and I love this story of the woman with the issue because the sacrifice that she made, this raw state of herself became an altar but and it became a gateway for the supernatural to flow through. If we could just have the band up now. Because altars represent places on earth where heaven comes, where the kingdom of God is established. And, the, and heaven meets our issue. <laughs> heaven meets our unedited state. And, and in Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And there's this picture in the next chapter of these altars with fire on them. As, as Pentecost happens and, and tongues of fire 
burn on these lives that have been surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I love it that he says, you will receive power. And I want to encourage one here today, someone here today, that he hasn't changed his mind about you. <laughs> you will. You will receive power. He just needs a living sacrifice to fall on. He needs someone yielded. He needs someone raw. <laughs> he needs someone who doesn't give a rip about what other people say, who doesn't care about the status of their community or the reasons why you've got to that point. He's just like, I just, I'm just ready to offer my body as a living sacrifice today. And so Elisha, he built this altar out of raw material. He poured so much water on it, it filled the trench and it thoroughly, everything got baptized completely. And then the Lord answered with fire from heaven, demonstrating to everyone that He is God. He established this atmosphere and then a chapter or two later, He praised the end of the drought and the heavens open up and, and the earth is blessed again, and, and Carmel becomes its namesake, a fruitful place, a place where heaven is established, and God is looking today for places built for His glory. <laughs> you are a living sacrifice. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay